Hello and welcome to the Unfuck Your Biz podcast, a show for creatives to encourage and inspire through actionable legal, tax, money, and business topics. I'm Braden Drake, an author, lawyer, tax pro, and educator. If you are ready to get your legal and tax shit legit, you are in the right place. Well, hello there, friends, and welcome back to the Unfuck Your Biz podcast. As always, this is your host, Braden, and today, I am very excited to be joined by one of my friends, Claire Pelletro. I got it right this time. Nailed the last name. Um, In lieu of self-sponsoring my own podcast this week, I want to take a minute to talk about Claire's podcast. Claire is the host of the Get Paid podcast, which is one of my very favorite shows to listen to. Um, she loves talking about money, profit, loss, the whole shebang. She asks her guests how much they charge and how much they earn. And if you love the topic of today's episode, if you're enjoying the conversation we are about to have, then you're going to love Claire's show. So go and subscribe. How'd I do? That was amazing. Thank you so much. I really need to promote that show a little bit more, I think. Yeah, well, we'll get you, you know, we'll get you a handful of downloads. We'll, we'll see what happens. Everyone will go tune in. Come on over. It's a good time. Yes. Great time. So for a little bit more, uh, a a more formal introduction to Claire, before we dive all the way in, Claire is a Facebook and ad, uh, Facebook and Instagram ad expert and conversion optimization expert. Her mission is for you to actually see a return on the money you're putting into the Zuckerberg machine without the expensive outside help from consultants, outside ad consultants. Fortunately, Claire's ad trainings are famous around the interwebs for being ridiculously easy to understand and implement. I can attest to this myself as a student of yours, Claire. Um, I did not want to touch Facebook ads until I took your course. So thank you so much for everything that you do for business owners like me. And now you love them, right? You just love ads. You know, I have a love-hate relationship with ads. I do not really enjoy making the ads, but it's the same in the, in the same way that I don't like love writing sales emails for launches. It's kind of like the same, you know, reflecting the same muscles when you're writing ads. But once the ads are running, I do have a very good time looking at the data. Oh, that's so interesting. I also dislike making the creative very much, but I do love putting together the audiences, being like, ooh, what if we tried? this? What if we just bump up the budget by 400%? What happens? And then, yeah, looking at the numbers. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's kind of, I mean, it's almost, it's kind of like like gambling or like cryptocurrency or investing. It's, it's just like fun to like log in and like, look at the numbers and see how things are doing. The difference is, is that with Facebook ads, you can actually make a lot more, a lot more tweaks and changes than you can with <laughs> investments. So. Right. Yeah. But I think sometimes that feeling of dread or the tears, the hot, or the warm tears that stream down your face if you've seen that, you know, Bitcoin has dropped. Uh, those might feel similar, like when you're looking at your ad results. Um, I don't think I, I don't think I told you this, but I, um, I definitely could have made some tweaks to this, but the last ad I ran was a couple months ago and I shut it off after my first $90. It only resulted in one, one lead. One lead. <laughs> Hmm. Like, well, yeah, I mean, it's not right here. I probably um, would have turned that off as well. Ninety dollars yeah, yeah, yeah. one lead. I thought it was like too far gone to even edit. I just deleted it and I was like, we'll circle back. But I also was in this period of like, what am I selling? Who am I talking to? I don't know what I'm promoting right now. So it's like it's best if we just stop spending money at this point. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. Yes. All right. Well, let's start, Claire, by talking a little bit about your background, specifically, like, how did you get into this whole ad space and entrepreneur space to begin with? Um, so do you want the like whole long story like I gave you in our first attempt at recording this or because it sure. was long. Well- I we're fine tuning as we go. So for everyone listening, we had um, one technological glitch. So we are re-recording the first 25 minutes of this podcast. Um, But I think that's great because they don't all have to listen to the dress rehearsal. It's going to be even better. Exactly. Exactly. And I I love that you're like me and you're like, let me give everyone the behind the scenes of what's what's happening with this interview. So right there in the room. Yeah, you're going to love this. I had um, one of my students one time told me, she goes, I love that when you have bloopers and you're like paid course videos, you don't edit them out. It like makes me stop and chuckle. And then like, it snaps me back into attention. And I was like, good. I love that. I don't have time to edit. Wow. I never thought about the actual like benefit of having them. Yeah. Cause I'm pretty sure I had like an actual training video inside of my program where I said like, oh fuck, that's the wrong slide. Hold on. Let me delete that. And then I had to, you know, gather myself. We just keep it in people love it. Uh, it is great. Unless your, your students have only learned from like Marie Forleo before, whereas yeah, well, it's like this production level is different. You know, I'm a big, a big student of Amy Porterfield, exact, oh. exact, exact same way, but you know, yeah. to each their own, we've got to each teach with our own personalities. That's why people buy from us in the first place. Yeah. Okay. So Take us back to like first year entrepreneur, Claire, how did that all happen? First year. Okay. So I was working in a full-time job, uh, doing online marketing, actually running Facebook ads for a company. I learned to do ads, uh, when I was working with my husband's startup, uh, my then boyfriend, now husband's startup, he like sat me down one day and he was like, I want you to come and work for the business part-time, which was pretty hilarious because the marketing for that company had to be done in Spanish. And I am not a native Spanish speaker, but I did get to run the ads in English. And I learned how to run Facebook ads with that. When we saw that we wanted to stay together and therefore we couldn't work together anymore, I went and I got this job, which was working for the company that is now Meet Edgar that social media scheduling tool before it was a um, info product business. So I was running ads for that company. I was writing the blog for that company and doing some data analysis. And I started like doing some client work on the side because I saw, oh, wow, this is a, an in-demand skill and like nobody really knows what they're doing. Um, gosh, Brayden, when I think about how I could have like what I would do if I could go back to that time, um, because it was so unknown, Facebook ads were so unknown, but they were so cheap. Like, I think I probably could have made the amount I made this year in like six months, maybe. Um, but I eventually actually, while I was thinking, oh, uh, I don't think entrepreneurship is for me. It's kind of too hard for me to like write for this blog that I've launched and do my day job. I then got fired from that day job. Uh, it was the absolute right decision for my boss and ultimately for me. Um, but the hilarious thing is that I got sort of fired because of a Facebook ad related mistake. <laughs> uh, but it's all good. I learned from my mistakes and it forced me to launch my business. So that was 2014. I was only doing like the side hustle thing for about six months before I was let go. Gotcha. So when you, when you said that if you could go back and redo some things, 
are those like strategies and tactics that you think would be like helpful and relevant for everyone today or like based on what the market was then? Like you yeah. probably could have just really, really hyped up the insane ROI on the ad spend at that point in time. I could have just done cold outreach to some of the biggest names in online business because I actually learned that they had been given my name later. Wow. Later, I learned this much later. And at that point, I was already... I was already like burnt out from client stuff because I have just like seesawed up and down and back and forth about like, do I want to be running client ads? Do I not? Do I want to just focus on selling this course? Oh, wait, this course is making me $200 in like three months. I need to run ads. I need to work with clients to actually pay my bills. So um, that that's what I would do differently. Um, but then who knows? You know, we never know what would have happened or how I might've self-sabotaged. Yeah, we, I feel like, I mean, I have these kind of conversations with myself all the time. I always, one of my internal dialogues is, it seems like a lot of the people that I know that started their business two years before me, because I started in like 2017, 2018, people who started in 2015, I feel like they had such a head start before the market got really saturated. And if I just started a little bit sooner, I'd be doing so much better. Um, is there a little bit of truth to that? Maybe, but also I probably, you know, it's probably a little bit of excuses on my end too, but I think we all have those kind of conversations. Definitely. Definitely. And then we see the people who still just come on the market in 2021 and blow the fuck up. So we're like, why? Yeah. But then it's also kind of like, fuck them. But like, also I'm happy for you. It's a little bit of, <laughs> it's a little bit of both. <laughs> happy. I mean, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. sure. Sure. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm a little bit, I'm a very jealous, but a, a little bit happy, right? I was talking about, I'm um, talking to one of my friends about this the other day, and they were like, oh, well, why don't you really like that person? And I said, well, to be perfectly honest, I don't really know that person, but I'm mostly just like jealous of the success that they're having. So I don't have any actual anecdotal uh, evidence about anything there. It was a very natural human reaction in business, of course. Compared oh, yeah. To this. I have had conversations with podcast guests who I hated because how successful they got so quickly. Or I actively did not want to talk to people because of the same reason. Yeah, but did they send you their PL? Like, how do you actually know? <laughs> no, I didn't, but I asked really nosy questions. Like I yeah. just I just have this one episode in mind. And like, even though she's had like a big affiliate and had a big launch, she still made a, a, short, a good amount of money for her own business. Of course, we weren't talking about taxes or take home pay right. at that time, but, um, but yeah, it, it felt, it felt like a lot. Nice. Well, when we started this conversation back in take number one, you mentioned that you were pretty nervous to dive into your PL. Are you a little bit less nervous now that we've already had half of that conversation? No, you're shaking your head. No, I, I'm still like, I'm looking at it myself and Brayden, I'm kind of like, fuck, how did my profits get so low? Like they used to be, well, I mean, I guess we should get into the numbers before I start talking about what they used to be or what they were a couple of months ago. Well, I think actually, I think that's a good segue, right? So we're just going to dive straight into your revenue number, your revenue. Um, I'm going to round all of these numbers to the nearest $1,000 just so we're not talking, you know, it's like not real funky, but your revenue year to date. So we're recording this in early November. So this is, you know, through some part of October revenue to year to date, $263,000. Could you give us, um, 
I mean, not like a year to year breakdown, but kind of just a trajectory, like a snapshot of what your growth trajectory has been. Oh my God. I can just tell you, I, I pretty much know them. The first, the very first year that I, you know, got fired. So I was doing it like um, six months, I made like $18,000. The next year I made $80,000. I don't remember Tuesday. The next year I think was like a, between 150 and 200. The following year. So what is that? 2018, 200, uh, 200,000, 2019, 299,000. <laughs> it, it was real annoying that I didn't get the 300. And then I had a baby and took off half the year. 2020 was 200,000, even though I was off for six months. So nice. And then now we are, you know, it's November 4th, 2021, and we're looking at 263. Okay. What Do you know what you're roughly projecting by end of year? Do you have any idea? No, <laughs> because- I'm in a, I'm in an interesting moment in my business. Uh, I basically had, I stopped selling last month. I basically took the month off. Um, and so like, you know, we had some payment plans and we had some sales of the evergreen courses, but I didn't enroll anybody new in my program. And I had like kind of what I would consider a failed launch in September. So as a result of that, like I'm thinking, am I going to do a, a final push at the end of the year or not? Maybe maybe pushing it is just not, not mm -hmm. the answer. So what was the reasoning for your month off? Did you just want like a mental physical break or you felt like you need to rest your email list or did you already have it planned? Uh, no, it was not planned. My email list, my poor, poor subscribers right now, unfortunately, they pretty much only get content from me when I'm selling. Um, that's just sort of about bandwidth. And because I felt like I really missed the mark with this launch in, I mean, it was like a mini launch. We basically did a push for applications and then the applications didn't really come in. Um, and then I also had like an automation glitch. So the, the applications that did come in, uh, they, didn't, they didn't get really the correct sequence. Excuses, excuses, right? But either way, October just felt like, what, what am I doing here? Um, I'm kind of like a Braden question. Is this the right thing? Yeah. Is, is this, is this the right thing? That was, I mean, that was basically my whole summer. Like I had, you know, I had like the worst launch in April. I was hoping to have a six figure launch. It was barely a five figure launch. And so then the whole summer was me just, you know, having a little bit of like a quarter life existential business crisis, working through what I wanted to do. I think we've turned it around. I don't know. I'll, 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 let, I'll let you know. I'll let you know in a few weeks. It's been a it's been a weird year though. I'm I'm calling this. I've been calling this the COVID hangover year because I think a lot of us, at least myself, in 2020, I was really optimistic. I was like, you know, 2021 is going to be a fresh start, and everyone's going to be so excited and like ready to spend money with our businesses. It's not really been the case for I feel like a, a lot of people. So it's been a I don't know. It's been it's been like a wacky wacky year. And then of course you know there's still like restrictions and like crazy people yelling at people and we like watch them on the internet and it's a lot of weird stuff. Yeah. You know, I, I would say that 10% of the people who I have talked to in, in this past year, kind of about this stuff, 10% are like, everything's rock and roll. Interesting. And then everyone else has had some, either they have gone through or are currently going through exactly what, what I'm in now, uh, or, or their close friend has. You know, mm -hmm. like everyone seems to be talking about the same thing. And I really appreciate my friends 
um, even people who I don't know very well saying, oh yeah, oh yeah, that's that's just a par for the course right now. Yeah. Some Somebody said they thought it had to do with the people who basically who have been in business as long as I have and that it's related to that just kind of time eventually getting kind of bored. But I mm-hmm. think there's, I think there are other things, like you said. Yeah, there's something, I mean, there's something else going on with just like the way people feel about spending money this year. But also I think some of the things that have been routine and online business are starting to crumble a little, little bit, maybe we'll talk oh, about, yeah. we'll talk about that. That's been a frequent conversation among a lot of people. Um, but for right now, I want to circle back to your podcast is called the get paid podcast. You ask all your guests, you know, tell me about your business. Tell me how you get paid. We have your revenue number in front of us. Can you just tell us where the bulk of that revenue comes from? Yeah, almost all of it has come from um, my signature program right now. It's called the Lead Lab. Uh, It's a nine-month program where we help you put together uh, and then run ads to a funnel that helps you make some or all of your money back. Really, the goal is for you to be constantly audience building so that when you do small pushes, big pushes, launches, you know, paid live workshops, whatever it is, you have new people to sell it to. Um, we also show people how to nurture those people over time so that they're not just paying for people who then unsubscribe. Um, and yeah, it's a good time in there. It's a great program. It's hard to sell. I'll be honest. Do you think, I mean, do you think that's just a result of it being a high ticket program or do you think people are more scared to like start spending money on Facebook ads? I think the biggest problem is ads. Do you like how I ask such leading questions? That's how you know I'm an an attorney, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. Uh, I do that a lot. I, have you ever noticed, Brayden, I do this thing where I like start the question and by the tone, it sounds like I'm going to keep going and I just stop. I do it once an interview and the people are like, oh, she's done asking. So here's what. See, I, I love that because you give your guests like a uh, space to talk, like between my ADHD and my loud ass mouth, like I have to like really restrain myself not to like talk over my own guests. So, I mean, I think that's, I think that's make it the question open ended. they can fill in the gap and then answer it themselves. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Okay. So we have the lead lab. That's your high ticket program. Did you... Did you already share the cost of that program on, on this, on this, on this podcast? No, not in this version. It's uh, currently $6,400. So it works out to be like so much less than you would pay someone. Yeah. Uh, But then you, you also have to do the work. So this is, this is sort of one of the things, you know? Yeah. So who's your, like, who's your like dream ideal, like student to join that program? Well, I'm really glad you asked, Braden, because one of the things I got very clear on in that workshop that I attended in your lovely city is the fact that my the people who have the most success with ads, or no, I'm sorry, in this program are people who have already had some experience in the ads manager. Because the biggest thing I see happening is that people get to the ads part and they're like, oh, fuck this shit. no, there are all these warning signs in the ads manager. It's like red and angry and it doesn't want me to do things. And then it's telling me my campaign is likely to get zero conversions, which don't listen to those warnings. Do not just listen to me. 
come learn from me. Um, so if you like have already had some experience with the ads manager and you kind of know what you're getting into, then you're much more likely to really get through the content of the program. That's like the biggest, the biggest identifier that we just had recently. So now it's on, the, it's a question on the application. And if you haven't, if you don't have experience in the ads manager, we're going to sell you, or we're going to recommend that you buy the self-study course first, because okay. that is still available. Nice. So absolute Facebook ads, it's the name, absolute FB ads, right? That's the yeah. name of your, um, right. Because legally it can't be absolute Facebook ads. Yes. Yeah. And we could talk about that, but we won't because I'm not a trademark, <laughs> I'm not a trademark <laughs> attorney anyway. Um, so that's the program I've gone through, which is basically like my base foundational understanding of Facebook ads, super helpful. Um, I'm assuming the vast majority of people listening to this podcast are going to be a better fit for that program. It's a lot of service-based business owners. Um, and with that in mind, I also want to let you all know, um, I love to have fellow course creators on the show. Um, because I love talking about course creation, one to many business uh, offers, but I know that that's not always going to be the most relevant content to you all listening. So the reason I really brought Claire on is because a we're going to talk about her PL and her numbers. We're going to give some context to some of the topics I've been talking about on the podcast recently. Um, but then I'm also going to ask some questions about scaling at the end. So if you are in a one-on-one -on -one business and you're looking at how you can make more money potentially with a one to many offer. Claire is going to have a lot of fantastic insights for us. So we talked about your revenue. Um, let's, let's talk a little bit about some of your expenses. When you're looking at your own PL, you already said you had some oh shit moments with some of the line items. Which line items in particular are like higher than you would have expected at the beginning of this year? Well, um, I mean, my, my brain just goes to the big numbers, right? So 68,000 for salary and wage, right? That's like most that, of that's like your money though. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's actually, well, okay. So salary and wage means me, my salary from Gusto, the, you know, payroll thing and my employee, I have one full-time employee and she's on payroll. Um, but what did we say that about 68, I get paid from Gusto about $6,800 every month, but that that mostly just goes to taxes. Yeah. Um, so like whatever is left over there is going to my employees. So that, yeah, this, this like salary and wage line, it's for me, I think of it as salary, my assistant salary and the company's taxes, which gotcha. 68,000 for like, um, you know, 263. That's hundred. That's about right. I, you know, probably, but, uh, but what I love about this setup is that I don't have to save for taxes. Yeah. Last year, I saved for taxes in addition to having this. So I had like 40K sitting around in, in my bank that like, well, I just basically put into company savings. But because I thought it was going to have to, I thought I was going to owe that. Yeah. And you didn't, did you need any of that when you went to file your taxes? No, my husband owed me. <laughs> how do you how do you figure that out? How do you figure that he owes you? Ask Buck the accountant. Okay, his okay, name is it, Buck. Yeah, and he tells us. Beautiful. All right, love that. Okay, so yeah, that's an interesting one for most people. Also, for context, Claire has an S corporation, so Claire is on salary. She's on payroll. That's a requirement when you have an S corp. For a lot of other people. 
that big line item is not going to be there. So their profit number is going to be higher, but then they're going to be setting aside that money for taxes, which means their take-home pay is still going to be the same amount. Actually, their take-home pay is going to be a little bit less because without the S-Corp, they're actually paying more in taxes, most likely. So we can think about it that way as well. Um, any of these other line items stand out? Also, sorry, I'm going to ask you a question and then I'm going to mm, sidetrack us again. So your total operating expenses, 167, net profit, $96,000. So 96,000, knowing that most of your take, or most of your taxes have been taken out, that's essentially your take-home pay, right? Mm -hmm. And it pretty much is. Nice. So after that, I feel like, I mean, this is why I, I feel <laughs> that my company isn't profitable because there isn't a lot left over after I pay myself a very comfortable wage. Right. But what I like, the way I like to tell people to look at it is you have to add your payroll back in because like, you can't like, you can't let all the money the IRS is taking from you, uh, cloud your judgment on how profitable your business is. Right. So if you add that back in, you're actually operating at around 60, we calculated between 60 and 65% profit. That's pretty good. That's actually really good knowing that you have a full-time a full -time team member. Because for a lot of people, we're targeting 70%, but that's without employees. Oh, cool. I mean, <laughs> but see, that's why, that's why these conversations bother me because who the fuck cares? Like this, this number that you're saying, okay, we're aiming for this. Yeah. I'm aiming to pay myself a shit ton. That's what I'm aiming for. I don't really care if there's, I mean, okay. Sometimes I care if there's a lot left over in the business because sure, I, I get it. Maybe next year I want to invest in more team, more coaching, whatever. I get it. Yeah. Um, but what has happened over the years is that whenever I have a big launch uh, or just like a great month that is way better than, um, than our expenses, I just put that money into a little bucket that I think of as company reserves. So I have that money, even if like, even if this year, 2021, cause it's kind of shaping up that way is the revenue covers expenses, taxes, and Claire's salary like hundred percent, no extra change. I, I still have that money to invest because of last year's and the years year before savings, you know, maybe my profit margins were actually a lot better those years than I thought, yeah. but I wasn't calculating them the correct way. Your, I think we talked about this when we had breakfast, when you were here, um, your business savings, did you, didn't you say that you have savings for about three months worth of expenses? Is that what you shared with me? About, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and that's not even that much. That to me doesn't feel like a lot, but because the business hasn't had, like, you know, I can't get fired. Right. right. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't feel like I have that risk. If yeah. I have a month where we make no money, I know how to turn around and make some money. I can also slash some of these. I don't want to like the, the one line that I'm really looking at that also feels very big is independent contractor expense. Mm -hmm. Whew. It's $38,000. Is that going to like numerous contractors or primarily like one or two people? Mm, no. So, I mean, like more 
I don't know if more than half, but a good chunk of it. And I don't feel comfortable sharing exactly how much. Um, some people would say that this is a full-time salary number. Let's say that. Okay. Like a lower paid full-time salary. I'm paying a part-time person. Um, she is a copywriter in the business and she's also a coach for my clients. So she helps with marketing and she helps with delivery. When Remember how I told you when we were in San Diego, I was like, I am kind of out of the major parts of delivery of my program. Yeah. It's a, it's amazing. I mean, when I stop selling the business doesn't make money, but if I go on vacation or if I have maternity leave or something like that, the, the clients still get served. So I have to kind of keep remembering that about this independent contractor expense. She's almost like another employee yeah. in terms of her commitment and focus, but just not, um, and that's, that's something we hinted at, like I hinted at it on podcast number one, right? So we talked about profits around 62%, but if you could eliminate that $38,000, then it means your profit's going to now go to 75%, maybe close to 80%. Is it worth having that extra money in your bank account, knowing that you're now responsible for all of that delivery of services in your business? Hell no. Hell right. no. I, I work between two and on average, two and four hours a day. Nice. So yeah, that's what I, so that this is why I was really interested to see your PL because I always tell people all the time, my goal in my business is to get to 20 to $30,000 a month in take-home pay. I'm working four or fewer hours a day. Like that's my long-term goal. Like I don't need to have a multi seven figure business. Maybe, I mean, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not going to know how stressful that kind of business is until I have that kind of business. Like we can all kind of pretend. Um, but I mean, that sounds, that sounds great. Um, one thing I wanted to note: what I've done in my bookkeeping, um, and this is the nice thing when we're talking about the chart of accounts or category of expenses, we can make it whatever we want. We can call our expenses, whatever we want. We just have to, you know, kind of then tweak them a little bit when we do our taxes. Um, I separate between what I call team contractors and outside contractors. Hmm. So my team contractors are the people that work with me on a weekly basis. And then my outside contractors would be like, I paid Claire on a project basis to like run my ads for this campaign. Hmm. Um, so I don't know if you have a lot of contractors, but that's something you could maybe implement if you wanted to like kind of, it can be helpful for some people to view the numbers that way. Oh, that, okay. That's interesting. I would say, I think, mm, yeah, I think I only have, well, I do work with them on a, on a weekly basis. My, I was thinking my podcast editors, they kind of feel like the, like they're not in Slack. Yeah. That those are, that's sort of everyone else. I mean, I have another coach who is paid hourly an ads coach. So she's paid hourly. Um, and I have a virtual assistant and, and then I have somebody who does very, you know, kind of very minimal social media stuff for us or podcast related. It's, I'm embarrassed to say I have somebody who helps me with social media because I post once every two weeks usually. So, <laughs> and that's not her fault. That's me. That's me. Okay. I actually, I actually wanted to ask you about that. So I was going to bring it Great. up later. I'll ask you now while we're on the topic. Um, I'm actually a little bit envious, Claire, about the size of business you have with, um, and I feel like this could come off the wrong way, but you just said it with how little you post on social media. Um, Thank you. That's actually a real compliment. 
Yeah. Well, because like, let's all be like, let's all be honest. Like we're all on Instagram. It's like, it's exhausting, right? Like personally, I like to be on Instagram. I love having conversations on Instagram, but like when I sit down and I'm like, all right, what kind of thoughtful, ingenious thing do I have to tell the world today? And it's just like, just like, I got, I got nothing, but I feel like I have, I have to post. Um, do you feel like you're able to do what you do in your business without a lot of social posts, like because you have ad expertise or because of your podcast audience or what do you attribute it to? Yo, that is an excellent question. And I wish I knew more about what it was, uh, like what really contributes to it, but it's, it's a number of things. One is early, early use of ads in my business when ad costs were cheaper, right? Mm-hmm. Then it's just years of still talking about the same thing, still being considered an expert because people just refer, I mean, people refer me to their friends or whatever. Oh, here's someone you can learn from, or here's somebody you could hire back when I was doing that. Um, early Googling, uh, sorry, early Googling, like early SEO. SEO yeah. Okay. So early blogging and things like that. Um, because, well, I'm thinking of one particular, Jasmine Starr was my client for a really long time. She found me on Google. Wow. And, uh, yeah. Um, I get a number of applications for my program from Google. Um, and then, and then it's like, I think it's a podcast. I think it's not actually about the audience, but I think it's about the network. Um, like strategic have- partnerships. No, no, I'm not the least strategic when it comes to partnerships. I'm really awkward asking people to do things with me or for me. But I think it's like, all right, I've interviewed these people. So I'm on their radar. And then they recommend when somebody's looking for an ad consultant or something like that. Because my listenership is quite small, Brayden. It's small, but really fucking mighty. Um, you, and- so you told me this at breakfast, but like, I, I don't know why, but I have, like, I just have this feeling that like small for you and small for me are like very different numbers. Okay. Well, how many, all right. Instead of like comparing, I'll just tell you, we get, once an episode goes live, we get approximately 1500 downloads within seven days. Okay. What do you to get? Me, to me, that's a lot. To me, that's a lot. We get, well, we average about 250 episodes per new episode, like within like the week that the episode Uh releases. 250 Um, downloads. But I, yes, but I can also tell you like, for being honest, like I think this episode is a lot more interesting than like when Brayden hops on on Thursday to like talk about how to form an LLC. So as we do more of this content, you know, the show might grow. We'll see. Okay. Well, (laughs) given, given the response that I get from people, wherever, either in person, um, in a Facebook group or something where people are like, oh my gosh, I love your show. Given that number of people, you would think it's higher. You would think the downloads are, are much closer to like some of our, some of the other podcasts that I know you and I both listen to, right. you know, Abigail and Emily or Rachel Rogers or things like that. I mean, I do not pretend to be in the same category as, as any of those women, but in terms of the podcast, it's like the listeners are die hard. So thank you. You have fans. You should start a merch store. You get, it's like sell Claire t-shirts. No fucking thank you. (laughs) 
Um, okay. So I, I do want to, I want to circle back to that social, like the social media thing, just for a second. It was funny that you brought up Jasmine because I actually had her like in my brain as you were talking, because when we were talking about like the amount that we post on social, I have always gone back and forth with what I call, I call it the Jasmine star approach, but it's funny. So when I, I asked Jasmine a question about this, like on a live like on a live video once. And she actually said it's the Gary V approach. It's like, she gets it from him. And basically it's like the be everywhere all the time. You're like omnipresent on the internet, which is like exhausting, right? Having that amount of content out there. Um, there was a question behind me bringing that up, but I guess, I guess my, my, oh, so I was talking about this with my VA the other day. And I was like, can we make our business model more like Claire's where I'm putting out an excellent podcast episode a couple of posts to promote it, an email, and we're not like trying, like I'm not dancing on TikTok every other day. It's just like a lot. So are you on TikTok? I I do not dance on TikTok, but we do post TikTok videos. Yes. Great. I didn't know that. Like that's the only platform I'm on now. I don't have <laughs> cool. Facebook or Instagram on my phone. Oh, wow. Okay. I literally only put it on my phone when I'm like, when I need to get in touch with somebody <laughs> or if I can't do it, you know, if I can't do it from my laptop. Yeah. Well, follow me, follow me on TikTok. It's, um, okay. they're just all of my Instagram reels repurposed really. So great. Great. Cause then I get to see them. Beautiful. Um, you know, I don't, I bet that my business would be a lot, it would be bigger. I can't, I, I want to say double, but I don't know if it would be double if I showed up on, on the socials, like you do, Brayden. I mean, fuck like Jasmine or Gary, you know, but even <laughs> just like you, I know my business would be bigger. Um, but I work two to four hours a day and I like it that way. And I'm not really, I'm not really into the the time yeah if I hate if I hate what those apps do to my mental health yo I mean I fucking teach people how to give Zuckerberg money it is sometimes a problem in my own head okay but uh when we started working with this person for social like I needed to approve things and we needed to really nail down the strategy and I just couldn't be bothered so that's not her fault at all. It's, it's just me. Yeah, that's, that's how I feel too. The, the conversation I had with my social media person, basically I told her, I said, uh, and she's going to listen to this podcast episode because she's the one that does the transcripts. Um, but the conversation we had was, I don't want to do this, um, but I also know that you cannot generate all of this content without my feedback on the content strategy. So it's always trying to constantly manage expectations on what kind of content can we put out that you can help me put out without having a lot of my input on. And I think I think a lot of people, and Claire, you interview a lot of business owners on your podcast. A lot of people have hiring issues, and I really think it's because they have unreasonable expectations, mm -hmm. thinking that they can hire someone to take over all their social media and just... I'm like, if you have your own issues with, with like ideation for content ideas, like why are they going to be able to suddenly do it for you? Like magically? I don't know. Yeah, no, but for me, can I tell you what it is? First of all, I think you're absolutely right about like the hiring issues and the expectations. Um, I am like uh, a real design snob and I have no design skills. So I can tell you, I hate this, but I don't know how to make it better. You know, yeah. um, and 
yeah, it's just, it can, it can be hard. And, and like, it really, what I saw was like, oh shit, you know, it might take us even 10 hours a week for a month for us to really figure this out. Or what if longer? Mm. And I just, and maybe at a point, like somebody in my business will, will do that. Like, but I think, I think ultimately it'll be probably a full-time person. If I'm going to sit down and do that work to map out the, the real strategy and the design templates and all that jazz, like, uh, I I feel like it's going to be a full-time from the design perspective, I love your brand photos so much. And I know you, that you did your, your rebrand, I think a, probably a couple of years ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I showed your website brand photos to my brand photographer when we did like our inspo board for my, um, for my brand, I showed it to a few photographers and I was wondering how you did like all of your prop setup and everything. And one of my photographer friends said, I think she hired a commercial photographer. <laughs> I hired Sarah Ashman from Public Persona, who has done a lot of commercial brands. And she connected me with the photographer who mostly does like high fashion photography. Nice. I can I love it. Yeah. I love, I love editorial photography and I would show like samples of photos that I like and all my photographer friends are like, oh, well, that's like, those are editorial photos. And yeah. they were like, and I was like, well, that's great because like, I personally do want to look like a model in all my brand photos. Is that an unreasonable expectation? Well, well, the thing is, that's what they kept saying to me. Wow. These are like really editorial. And I was like, what does that mean? Does it mean I'm not going to look like myself in them? Cause that's what I would really like. Can I tell you that that's the other reason I don't show up on social? Um, like on stories or selfies or things like that, because I have real issues with the way that I look. And it, so that's, a, that's why Did this like, podcast just take a turn that you were like, oh fuck, I don't want to talk about Yeah, this. probably like a little bit. Cause like part of me is very like, how do I navigate this conversation? Something I <laughs> talked mind. about with one of my friends yesterday, but well, I think that's, I mean, to give you context, my best friend from college one time told me that I like live my life with an unbridled level of confidence that is sometimes Amazing. unreasonable to her. Um, but like, I know like a lot of people have similar issues when it comes to showing up on social. So it's a very, very, very real thing. Yeah. And that's the only reason I say it. like not to dive into it, but um, a, there's a reason why like audio is my, is my jam, you know? Yeah. I mean, meanwhile, you'll just see me on Instagram stories, like covered it. It's not, not a day goes by that my good friend L um, does not reply to one of my Instagram stories and ask me if I'm going to like put on a different shirt before I start recording. That's not covered in dog hair. So <laughs> like what we're doing over there. Well, I brought up your photos as well, because um, I have a very large section of my audience are photographers. So you should all go check them out. They're really interesting. Really cool. Okay. So we've gone through a lot of your line items, particularly the ones that stand out. I also noted your training and education expense column. Um, It's a good chunk. I know though, um, like some of the programs that you've bought into. So I'm assuming the majority of that went probably went into high ticket hybrid or was that last year? No, I paid for that last year. Okay. Let's take, let's take a look at what those things are, because I don't think that the 5k workshop I just went to is in there. <laughs> uh, so you think that's a good chunk? Like, what would you say is a good percentage since, since we're talking? I actually, I mean, I actually think the percentage is good. So, 
I mean, you know, like what's my opinion on all, all of this, but 2.5% of your annual revenue to date for training and education. I think that's a pretty reasonable investment. Um, I could just tell like if you told, well, if I told my husband, I spent $10,000 on any kind of online course, he'd shit his pants and ask me why I didn't get a new car first. Um, but that's kind of, you know, the difference between talking to like fellow entrepreneurs and not fellow entrepreneurs. So $7,000 is a good chunk of money, but I think it's a pretty reasonable percentage of your income. Uh, yeah. Okay. So sorry that, yeah, there was, okay. So it's like, it's interesting because they have some of my, (laughs) some things are miscategorized. So there is a, uh, a couple of things that are like actually donations or Patreon memberships in there. Oh, okay. No Patreon. Yeah. Patreon. Sure. But like audible is in there. Um, I went to a great training with Trudy LeBrun Mm. on like anti-racist business building practices and coaching. And then, yeah, the, um, this event with Jerisha Hawk in La Jolla was 5k and it was a two day event and it was worth every penny. Nice. One of the, there um, aren't, yeah, there aren't like big, a ton of courses in here. Okay. So more smaller things. Yeah. Um, one of my uh, accountability friends in a group that I meet with every Thursday morning just brought up Jerisha this morning. And I was like, oh, I this small world. I just had a friend who just like went to her thing. I've heard only great things about Jerisha thus far. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so that was a good investment for you. Yeah. I mean, what's funny is that like going to that event at this moment with like kind of this headspace about the business is, was maybe not what a lot of people would do, but I, I learned because it's kind of about like how, how to sell more, how to get more qualified candidates really, um, to apply to your program. And if I'm like, is this the thing, is this the program? Uh, maybe, maybe I, this isn't relevant for me, but I mean, that was the thing that really showed me, okay, we have people who aren't really the right fit coming in. Mm -hmm. I'm not just applying, but actually that I'm letting, I'm letting them join. Um, and so then who is the right person or type of person or qualities of that person? And then what I need to, what content I need to be creating to speak to those people. So, I mean, I, now it's up to me to implement and I plan to, you're going to hear some, some, some solo shows from me, Brayden. And like, it's all from Jerisha, essentially. Good. I'm looking, I'm looking forward to it. Messaging is one of the things that's been like the hardest part in my business journey. I like recently worked with a messaging coach. So I think all of those takeaways, I mean, it's like hard to even put like a tangible value on that kind of stuff. It's like, so important. yeah. Yeah. Cause no, like what if I pivot in two years and I am selling something completely different still what I learned from her about, um, the content the sort of mistakes that we make with content yeah. marketing and then how to fix those. Very, very helpful. Yeah. Do you want, do you want to hear the messaging epiphany that I had in my summer business crisis? Please. So I'm pretty lucky. And that one of the members of, well, one of the members in my business mastermind, she runs a Facebook ad agency. So that's very helpful and convenient. And another one of them is a messaging and marketing and branding coach. Um, another one of the members of my mastermind was my book coach. So it's a great, it's a great time. Um, great. But one thing we talked about was like, ultimately, I don't 
like I am an attorney. I don't really love doing legal work. I talk about LLCs, S-Corps, contracts, why you need to have all of these things. But at the end of the day, kind of the conversation we started having, well, why the fuck does anyone care? And the what I started to kind of realize is that like, well, we want to have good contracts because refunds suck. And when we give refunds, we actually are losing money after we've already spent it half the time, right? And because we don't want to be sued and going to court is really, really scary. It's stressful, but we're mostly worried about the financial aspect. So at the end of the day, this all just comes, it all circles back to the money that we're making, which is why um, my audience probably knows I've done like a pretty drastic messaging shift over the past month or two. So hopefully it works. We'll see. <laughs> Great. I mean, that is a, it's, it's a really interesting angle. Refunds do fucking suck. Like yeah. when you have made money and you have to give it back because of like not, not an ironclad contract or refund policy yeah. or whatever, it just feels. Ugh. And it sounds to, to the people look from the outside looking in, they're like, well, you're just refunding the money. It's not that big of a deal, but it's like, well, you also have to realize is that I paid a processing fee when I got the money Mm -hmm. and I'm going to pay another processing fee when I send the money back. And so Mm -hmm. that's really not fun. You're actually losing money on the deal. Um, Okay. Enough about my business though. I want to, I did have one more thing I wanted to bring up about your PL, and then I have some, we can, we can, uh, you can wipe the sweat away and we'll get off, we'll get off your financial numbers. Um, there is one line item I particularly was surprised about any, do you have a shot on the dark guess as to which line it might be marketing and advertising? Yes. I thought it'd be higher. Is that Mm -hmm. what you figured I was going to say? So do you, do you, do most people just assume that you have like, that you would have like an astronomical like ad spend? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or at least some, some, but I mean, for a while now, I haven't been running ads. Uh, and there are a couple of reasons for that. One is the major one, and this has just plagued me my entire business, is that my niche, Facebook and Instagram ads, when you are targeting the people who would buy from me, those people are very expensive to target. Very expensive. Why? Because everyone in their mother in an online business is targeting them. You know, mm-hmm. if you target business owners, it's just already expensive. If you target business owners who are at a point where they can can and should be running ads, I mean that it's just a much smaller piece of that specific audience. So that results in a small percentage of people clicking on your ads and people kind of hate Facebook ads. So like even the best, even the best creative is still only getting get clicked on by a small percentage of people. What that means is that my cost per new subscriber can sometimes be like 10 or $15, Yikes. right? In 2014, I remember freaking out at like a subscriber for $2.50 and emailing my old boss and being like, are you seeing this too? Because the leads I got for her were like a dollar, dollar 25 consistently. Um, But now, like, I just wish I had spent all that money then to grow the list then. Um, Costs have gone up, but my particular niche is like, it's more expensive for me to run ads than any of the clients that I work with. So that's the main reason I'm not running ads now. The other one is that I, everything that I currently have, um, all the lead magnets, 
were great lead-ins when I was just selling the self-study course. Yeah. They are not good lead-ins for um, the lead lab. So I was spending money on ads um, and not seeing that money come back after a month or after two months. Uh, and that makes me nervous. So that doesn't mean I'm never going to run ads again. I just have to find the thing, find the lead in, you know? Yeah. So are you, are so you're still in problem solving mode as far as like the lead gen for the uh, higher ticket program, yes. like the lead gen that you would put on like on the ad funnel. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to be my big question after the new year. And we will probably talk about, <laughs> we'll probably talk about that for my own business. Um, I used to be, I could like, I mean, I can create a freebie in like an hour and stick an ad on it, but like, is it, you know, going to get people, get the right people, all that kind of stuff. Those are the, the big dollar questions that you get paid to help people with. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So pretty general, pretty general question for you, this data, like the PL that we're looking at, how often do you look at your numbers and like, what, how do you use them to do like future planning in your business? Right. I would think that Compared to a lot of people, it's probably a little bit more intuitive to you because you're used to looking at like numbers and ROI and conversion in your, uh, in your ad account, pretty similar. Well, it's interesting. So, um, I use YNAB for my business. Mm -hmm. I don't use it for personal. Um, you need a budget. It's basically the envelope system, right? So, uh, I look at that almost every week and uh, I rarely look at this. I rarely look at the PNL because I'm really mostly just like, you know, what can I afford? How big, really what I'm asking myself is how big is the company reserves? Is that growing? Is that growing consistently that I can start paying myself more? Or do we actually have to pull from it this month? Like in October, I think we had to pull from it to cover expenses. Um, so this is where like, what I talked about with having a launch or having a really good month comes into like me planning for the future, the future being usually it's been hiring. Like, let me, before I, I hired my first assistant, I had enough money in the bank to pay her. Like if the only thing I used that money for, oof, I want to say six months, you know, like I had, I had that there. So if she didn't start generating money for me, it was fine for a while, you know? Um, that's how I've really done it, but I'll tell you what I'm really bad at Braden. It's, uh, forecasting. Yeah. I mean, that's a difficult, I mean, that's a difficult skill for, for anyone, but especially, I feel like, I feel like with forecasting, you also, you also like have to have, um, really like good proven numbers on things that you've already been offering for a while. So when you have a relatively yeah. new offer, it's going to be harder to forecast. Definitely. This is, so in this conversation, again, again, we're talking about online programs and launches. So a little bit different for my audience, but also very analogous because a lot of you, particularly those of you that are in the event industry, you have, you have like engagement season, right? So people get engaged and then a lot of people get a huge chunk of their money in particular seasons. So the same kind of concepts are going to apply to you all. You need to stash some of that money aside. One of the things that frustrates me so much as a salesperson, and this is just something I have to, you know, I have to live with. I have to get around it, right? Um, but people tell me during peak season in the summer, Braden, I can't join your program um, because I'm too busy. And in the winter, we get the primary objective is I can't join your program because I'm not making any money. 
I'm like, all right, well, what happened, what happened to all the money you're making in, in the summertime? But that's the solution that we're trying to solve here, right? Um, so actually that, I mean, now I see a little bit more, Brayden, just how important your work is for this particular niche. You know, like I, if I'm just thinking about an online business owner, I don't, it's a little, it could be hard to differentiate yourself, right? Mm -hmm. But if you are really just like, you know, refunds suck. And also, I mean, you talk about it with your messaging friend, but yeah, the, yeah the because I mean, a refund like thing it, is so real in online business refund is like, Oh, I went through your checkout page. And like, for whatever reason, I want to refund. And like, we click a button and we give the refund, but in the service industry, it's like, I wrote you a check for $4,000 and now I'm pissed off. And if you do not refund me, I'm going to sue you. So it's a lot more, especially oh, a lot of the a lot of the time it's like mother of the bride is the one sending you the hateful emails or, you know, person whose website you're working on. Very stressful. Oh, okay. Um, let's talk a little bit about how, how long have we been recording this take number two? I don't remember when we started. Eh, got a couple, got a couple more questions. We won't, we won't stay on them super, super long. Um, between your podcast and your show format, working with, you know, you work with entrepreneurs, revenue numbers kind of all over the place, but I know you've worked with some business owners with pretty high revenues. What, how do you feel like that in particular shapes your perspective on the industry and like business model discussions in particular? So like the thing, like ways, the offerings people should be putting out to their audiences. Mm. You know, it's really interesting because I notice that I am somebody who drinks the Kool-Aid pretty hard. Same. <laughs> yeah. And um, for some reason, I don't feel proud saying that. I think it's because one of my really good friends is a brilliant business, has a brilliant business mind, and that's Mariah Kaz. Mm -hmm. So in addition to being her client, like I'm also uh, privy to her brain more than that. Right. And so what she says just makes like a shit ton of sense. And I've, so I've also watched her business over a long time and it's been, you know, like online courses and then now high ticket. And because of the cost of ads, that's why it really, really made perfect sense to me to actually go high ticket. Mm -hmm. And it, what that means is when, if you're paying more for each lead for each like prospect that cuts into your profit margins unless you're charging more right so um all kinds of different business owners have different costs per lead but in general they are like going up the facebook ad platform is just no longer this really nice cheap place to advertise um so that's why i've really been on board with high ticket the high ticket business model I do not think it is for everyone and it's not necessary for everyone. Mm -hmm. Like I have, um, I have a client, she's a nurse practitioner who coaches other nurse practitioners. She is getting $1.50 subscribers and her ad funnel is making her, I want to say it's like a not quite two X, you know? So like she's, for every, I feel like for every hundred dollars she's putting in, she's making 150, right? So she doesn't need high prices because right. she has high volume and she can reach that audience very inexpensively because, because other, because it's cheap 
to target nurse practitioners. Why? Because there aren't a lot of people showing ads to them. In three years, the market might be different for her. I mean, it's all like, it's, it's almost all like a supply and demand game, right? Like the exactly. ad costs are going up because Facebook's usership can only grow by so much at this point and more and more and more people are running ads, I would imagine. Yeah, totally. So that's a question. Are you playing a volume game or are you playing a, like a, a high ticket, you know, small numbers, but still big money. And I can't play the volume game in my niche yeah. because of the cost of ads. And because I'm not willing to sing and dance on social media like a fucking monkey every <laughs> goddamn day. Sorry. This is a, this is actually, this is part of a, like a rant I went on on Instagram story that I was, you know, like flashing my arms about while I was running around Mission Bay last week, I did a series of Instagram stories. Um, and really I was talking about at the end of the day, I think as educators, it's part of our job to sell people into our programs, right? So we're going to try to bust as many objections as we can. And we'll say, hey, you're going to get an ROI. But at the end of the day, like the people watching us can only implement so many business models, like ideally one, right? So doing <laughs> the A, B, and C program might all get me an ROI independently, but like which program is the best for me? Is it that educator's responsibility to answer that question in their marketing as an ethical question? This is something I was talking to my messaging friend about. And I said, no, I don't think so. Like, right, it wouldn't, really? be, it wouldn't be reasonable for me to say low tickets, the answer, uh, or low tickets going to make you a lot of money. And here are like the ways that it's going to be better for all these, like than all these other different business models. Like you can say that, but not for each person's individual business. I'm kind of going off on a tangent now, but at the end of the day, it's case by case. Um, I think that you can, we fight, can, me. You can fight me. On I it mean, if you want. I think that it's, it's not hard for me to say, um, if you are targeting business owners, the lower price is going to be hard for you. Yeah. Obviously not everybody. And like, guess what? Jasmine star low price fucking killing it. Yeah. You know, it's like a massive audience though. So that's, you know, massive. And why partially because she grew it organically and partially because of who she's speaking to beginners of anything are much easier to speak to. They're, yeah. they're interested in consuming all the, the, especially the free stuff, right. Or the lower cost stuff, uh, -huh. uh advanced or intermediate people. It's, uh, it's harder to get them to stop because they're skeptical. If Can I say more. something like maybe brave yet like brave and controversial while we're here? Okay. I think I think that a certain, to a certain extent, we also like myself, I have to acknowledge the fact that like Jasmine is also just extraordinarily charismatic. Um, like a lot of us can learn that skill, right? I so certainly it's like my podcast episodes today are gonna be a lot better than they were back in the day. But sometimes I just I feel like I have to look at people like Jasmine and be like she shows up really well on camera all the time and she's a charismatic person and I'm doing myself an injustice if I can like compare myself to those people all the time so it's you know also playing into your strengths for sure definitely absolutely um yeah it's if there is I have said to friends like introverts have a way harder time in this business right if you can show up live, live, you will just probably do better in business. It's, it's annoying, but it's true. Yeah. 
Yeah, I feel like I could, I could talk, we could talk about that for a while too, because I'm wondering, um, I am sorry, it doesn't mean that the non extroverts can't make it right. It's it, it is something as I'm an extrovert, but I just really hate live video or live interactions. Yeah, you know, if you would ask me to do a live podcast, I wouldn't be like this, I would be way more nervous, you know, it wouldn't be me. So Uh I'm just saying, People can make it work and do and have and all that jazz. But I think that that those things are true. Yeah, that just that just got me thinking because I like I'm an extrovert. That's why I love doing podcast interviews. I actually find recording solo shows to be very draining on me. Um, this I find energizing and invigorating solo shows. I find draining. And I wonder if that would be, I mean, I'm total shot in the dark. I have no idea, like the opposite for an introvert, but you know, it's gonna be different. Probably for everybody. I mean, have you ever tried filming those solo episodes just in a live video streaming somewhere? Um, not re kind of, well, I used to do Facebook lives. Um, me too. We never, I never got more. I mean, to all of you that, that are listening that went to my previous Facebook lives, thank you. I appreciate you. Um, but we decided it wasn't, you know, wasn't really working very well. Um, the two or three people that were coming every week, I invite you all, if you're still listening, just to voice memo me on Instagram, we can still chat. (laughs) Um, But I don't even mean as like an audience thing. I just mean like it might, you, your performance might be better or you might, it might be less draining. Yeah. Yeah. Possibly. Cause I did that. Um, and I just recorded all of my course videos last week too. I think that's, I think that's the thing is people assume they're like, well, Brayden, you love to talk. You never shut the hell up. Like you must love doing that. And I'm like, yeah, but I, I like to have a captive audience. I think that's the difference, you know? Totally. I just yes. felt, I just recorded a solo episode today. Uh, it was short, but I had to listen back and be like, did I say anything that was meaningful at all? Yeah. No. That's how I usually, my, I mean, as you can attest, I do not do a whole lot of prep for interviews. I think a lot of people are scared by how little information I send them. That's just like how I operate. But my solo shows, I like more or less have to script. Otherwise it's like tangents galore. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I had one other question I'm debating if we even want to go there. Cause it literally could be a whole podcast episode. We'll just kind of, we'll, we'll, we'll all just kind of bring it up and I'll tell people to like, then go listen to your show to explore more about this topic. How's that sound? Okay. Okay. So um, one of the things I talk about on my podcast is scaling a business. And a lot of people, a lot of my listeners are not really there yet. I mean, I don't think you're ever not there when it comes to scaling, but it's not like your biggest worry when you still are actively trying to fill your calendar with clients. But once you get to the point where you're like, I want to make more money, but I'm running out of time. That's my, my definition of scaling is making more money without working more. And I think there's three primary ways to do that. So like you can raise your prices, serve like more luxury markets. You can hire more people and go the agency route, or you can go the one to many route. And the one to many route is like, that's kind of like your wheelhouse and where you operate. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we'll just kind of, I'll just give you one general, one general question. Um, If people are thinking about going the one to many route, do you think it's for everyone? And if not, like how would someone assess whether that's like a business model that they should look into? Mm, that's really, that's a great question. Um, I think the one to many route is going to be, it's, 
it really shouldn't be approached unless you have people asking for something. I, I think, mm -hmm. um, so like, let's say you're a photographer and people are people, other photographers are coming to you and asking you things like how teach me what you're doing on Instagram or teach me your like client management system or teach me. Cause one to many is usually teaching coaching, something like that. Correct. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it could be creating a, a like a, some software. But yeah, that, it could be, a, it could be also be a product, but usually membership mm -hmm. group coaching course. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and so the thing about one to many is that it is a volume game. So you're going to like, in addition to selling, you're going to be constantly growing that audience. So it's helpful to have a base. And I think that was really helpful for me. Like when I launched my course, I did spend some money on ads. And also I, I, uh, slayed that Google game in the very beginning, uh, and got a lot of traffic from there. So my subscriber list kind of grew organically in the beginning. And then I was able to launch a course and having, I had 50 people buy in that first launch. Right. But it was a $97 product. Right. But even just those people start spreading the word more. Right. So it's kind of like a snowball effect, I believe, in, in audience growth and in reputation. If you try to go one to many without that sort of existing audience, I think you're going to struggle. Yeah. What I So when I've been an affiliate for Amy's program in the past, and people are, it's usually service providers, they have six-figure, like $100,000 to $200,000 service businesses. What I always tell them to do is every time someone DMs you to ask you a question, how are you doing this, write their, write their name down write their name down on a list, figure out what all the questions are. And then once you get your idea for your first program, go back and message those people and offer, offer your beta program. They give you money, then you validated the idea. Um, well, what I love I, that. Yeah, what I, I would recommend for all of you listening is if you are like, if the idea of doing a one-to-many offer, whether it's a course, a membership, a group coaching program has sparked your interest. If you're interested in that kind of business, go listen to Claire's podcast. Um, Claire, I told you this when we had breakfast. I told you I was jealous of your podcast because the conversations you have all the time are the conversations I love to have. Um, I restrain myself to a certain degree because all of those conversations would not be relevant to all of my audience. But those of you who mm. are listening who also find that really fascinating, you should go listen. Um, Claire, before we depart, if people are interested in learning from you in any of your programs, where should they go find you? Not Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, clairepels.com is my site. And if you're interested, I mean, if you are a service provider, that's not who the lead lab is for. Mm -hmm. That's not, you know, but if you want us like to start playing around with ads uh, and say, oh, you know, if you have an idea for one to many and you're like, well, Claire says I need an audience, so I may as well start building it. Um, I have a self-study course. There's actually a masterclass that comes with a, a sweet discount on said course. So you can go to clairepels.com forward slash five ads the number five, the word ads and, uh, and sign up for that class. You can get a, a sense of like what I teach, how I teach it. And also details on that course. Beautiful. And if you all, um, as you all know, I am on Instagram all the time. Can't help myself. So if you have questions about Claire's programs, feel free to message me. Um, cause I have actually taken that course. Um, I can, you know, I mean, 
honestly, you should ask Claire if you're like a good fit for the course, but I can give you some of my uh, experience running ads as well. Well, clear, 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 Claire, I think this was super, super helpful, informative. Thank you for being so transparent and sharing your numbers with all of us. I, for one, thank you immensely. Oh my gosh. It's been an absolute pleasure. Maybe the best podcast episode I have recorded this year. Well, that, okay. That's a really, now you're going to, if I had tear ducts, you would be making me very emotional right now. <laughs> very emotional. Good. Um, good. If I okay, good. I'm going to, um, I'm going to put that as a review on our website. So Thank you everyone so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did enjoy it, um, share on Instagram stories. Give me a tag, give Claire a tag. Uh, we appreciate the free publicity anytime we can get it. And of course, as always, I will be back in your podcast app next Thursday. Have a good one.